Hi everyone, welcome back to the Wild Womb Podcast. This week we are continuing the series, Conversations in Our Bodies. I wanted to share a little background on this as it has been a shift in this podcast. If you've been listening for a while, you may have noticed that things have moved a little bit away from birth. In the past year, I haven't been attending births, but have been working on my herbalism and reproductive health education work instead. I've realized that in order for people to have better experiences with birth and in the medical system in general, we need to have more education on our bodies from the beginning. When I was working at Flower Power in New York City, so many people were coming in with issues related to their menstrual cycle and trying to conceive. We aren't equipped with the information we need to understand what's going on and how to navigate it, and I really believe this lack of knowledge shows up in birth. Folks are left with little autonomy and get trapped in the cycle of not being able to advocate for themselves because you don't know what you don't know. With this series, my hope is that the more we share stories about our experiences in our bodies, the more we can connect with each other and hopefully recognize things within ourselves that deserve a bit more care and attention. So this week, I'm speaking with Naomi Westwater, who is a friend, a musician, and a witch. Naomi has endometriosis and was that was undiagnosed for 17 years. By sharing her story, she hopes that it may help other people experiencing symptoms she did to start seeking out support. So much of our experience in pain is minimized, and as you'll hear in this conversation, speaking up can be met with a ton of resistance. The more information we have about what's going on in our own bodies, the better. I really hope you enjoy this conversation and learn from Naomi's experiences. If you're experiencing any of the symptoms that she talks about, it's definitely worth getting checked out. And like she urges people, seek out a specialist, somebody who specializes in endometriosis rather than just a regular OBGYN. Though, if that's not accessible, talking to an OBGYN or a nurse practitioner is a really great place to start. And also, please go listen to her music. She's amazing, and you can find her at NaomiWestwater.com, as well as on Spotify as Naomi Westwater. And as always, please feel free to reach out about this episode, and otherwise, I hope you enjoy. Water. I'm coming at you from Jamaica Plain in Boston, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I'm a musician and a producer and a witch, and I have endometriosis and adenomyosis. Do you want to tell me what you mean by witch, too? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, use tarot. I practice nature-based spirituality mm-hmm. um I specifically celebrate um sun holidays so commonly like the winter solstice and the summer solstice the spring equinox and the fall equinox and also kind of follow along with the cycles of the moon cool okay thank you Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I'd love to hear about endometriosis and, and what is, can you repeat the other one again? Endometriosis? Adenomyosis. Adenomyosis. Okay. 
Yes. What is that? Yes. So um, basically endometriosis is when the the cells that are um, supposed to be the lining of your uterus um, are living outside of your uterus. Okay. Um, and, and they can really be anywhere, although it's common that they're usually somewhere in the abdomen. Okay. Um, and they are acting and behaving still like those cells in the lining of your uterus. Um, so they create hormones, they have hormonal changes, they shed and bleed once a month. Um, but they're doing that in other parts of your body. Um, so they're causing pain and also damage to other parts of your body. Um, as they're behaving like that. And then adenomyosis is very similar. It's those cells, again, in the wrong place, but this time they're actually in the tissue of the uterus. So it's just localized to the uterus, but instead of it being the lining, they're in the tissue of the uterus. So um, that causes just some kind of pain and irritation within the uterus. Um, Both of these diseases can also cause um, a number of other things um, they're highly inflammatory, um, and there's a million different side effects, but a lot of people usually find out about them, um, either from painful periods, painful ovulation, um, or infertility. Okay. With the adenomyosis, um, do you always have endometriosis, or are they mutually exclusive at all? They, they are, you don't necessarily have both. Okay. Um, I think that uh, the way it goes is most people with adenomyosis also have endometriosis, but not everyone with endometriosis has adenomyosis. Okay. Thank you for distinguishing that. That sounds Mm -hmm. pretty wild. Adenomyosis. Um, yeah, growing in the tissue. I don't fully understand that, but it sounds very intense. Um, yeah. So that one's actually, almost easier to talk about because it's so localized. Um, So it causes painful periods, painful ovulation, like I said, sometimes infertility. Um, And the tricky thing with it is there's, there's no cure other than a hysterectomy. Um, So it's just kind of figuring out a way to manage it. Um, Okay. I'm like, coincidentally, I'm ovulating right now. So I'm like talking to you with a heating pad on, (laughs) So, oh, no. um, yeah, but I mean, that's just like, it's part of my life. So, um, that, and that's from adenomyosis because I've had surgery for endometriosis and I, I don't have pain from endo anymore. That's great. Yeah. Can you, yeah. so you cannot get the same surgery for adenomyosis. That would have to be a hysterectomy. Yeah, correct. So that one's kind of like, it's easier to talk about because it's just, it's almost, even though it's still painful, it's like very simple. It's in one area, which is the uterus, and there really is no cure other than just kind of managing it. So um, a big thing, and it's really simple, but a big thing that my doctor told me to do is to take Advil a few days before my period and before my um, ovulation. Um, And that kind of helps with the inflammation if I do it a few days before the ovulation and the period, my body is already cool. Um, and so the inflammation from the adenomyosis doesn't really react that, that much. And it, it um, cut out right where you said um, 
what it is that you were told to do. Oh, sorry. that's okay. My doctor, so my doctor told me to um, take Advil okay. a few days before my ovulation and before my period. Okay. So a part of this then, I mean, I'm not sure if it's just like a fully intuitive process of you knowing when you're ovulating and everything, but do you also like track your cycle as well? Yeah, I try to track my cycle. For the most part, I'm, I'm pretty regular within a few days. Okay. So I, I do try to track my cycle. That's been really important for me. Um, and especially with pain management and also mm-hmm. just with things like um, less so right now, but when my endometriosis was really bad, it was like I couldn't schedule social events or like important things during ovulation or my period because I was just going to be in too much pain. So tracking them in order to just make sure like, you know, most likely during my period, I really needed to just be home and resting um, versus when I wasn't on my period, I could, you know, go to a concert or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So tracking has been important for me. Um, I saw my doctor just a few months ago to talk specifically about adenomyosis. So I've just started with the um, trying to take Advil starting a few days. And the reason he told me to do that is um, the inflammation. But I was getting these symptoms of pain, but also like flu-like symptoms, um, which I guess is from the hormone that's released. It can like cause you to kind of just feel like groggy and sick. Okay. Um, And so because it inflames the body. So if you get ahead of it and cool down the body with just something, again, as simple as Advil, Um, I do some like tinctures to like, um, ginger and turmeric Mm -hmm. and I do, um, pineapple enzyme. All those are just kind of anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Um, but that, that has actually been huge. Um, cause I think the hardest thing with both the diseases is the combination of pain and exhaustion. Yeah. It's like I could do, I could, I could handle one. But both is just like so awful. <laughs> so trying to the Advil helps with the kind of flu like exhaustion that I feel, mm-hmm. and then the pain is like pretty pretty easy to do with just um. Oh, sorry, my phone just buzzed. Let me make sure that um the pain is pretty easy to do with um Advil heat resting that type of thing okay how much advil do you take like do you, the dosage um so the leading up to my period i usually just take one or two doses of advil a day mm-hmm. um because i'm not in pain i'm just using it to to fight off inflammation um when i get my period i set a timer about you know the day before i get my period i set a timer and i start taking advil um, and alternating it with Tylenol every three hours, um, with the exception of sleeping. Okay. And if I do that and get ahead of the pain and, and manage that the whole like four or five days of my period, I can often feel no pain at all. Um, if I don't do that, then that's when the pain can, can start. Um, so usually like, for example, even when I'm doing that, when I wake up in the morning, that's usually when I'm in the most pain. Mm-hmm. 
because I haven't had um, Tylenol or Advil for like eight hours. So, um, but that alternating has been really helpful. And then I usually up my caffeine dosage and I don't, I don't drink coffee. I just drink like one cup of caffeinated tea a day. But usually when I'm on my period, I, I drink a couple cups of caffeine, a lot of baths, a lot of heating pads, those type of things. Um, and then just trying to be slow and like um, really gentle with myself. Yeah. Light movement, like a walk is good. Um, but I try not to, to do too much um, you know, of anything. <laughs> Quarantine has actually been really good because I've been working from home. So it's really easy to maintain, you know, having the heating pad. I can have a heating pad on during a meeting and no one notices. Right. <laughs> Where it was harder before when I was working in an office to kind of like be professional and like carry my heating pad around everywhere. So Yeah. <laughs> Do you so, feel like yeah. it's gotten any better with the quarantine going on just because like life is I mean, in some ways slower, has that helped? Yes, I think so. I I, I don't think, um, I don't think our normal, like, American lives are really conditioned for someone with a chronic illness. Definitely not. Um, So, yes. (laughs) But also, I am now 10 months uh, since my endometriosis surgery. Okay. And this last month is the first month that I'm finally, like, feel like I'm understanding what my normal will look like um and I I felt different about a month after my surgery but I still was like adjusting Mm -hmm. and really about you know now 10 months later I feel pretty good Um, that's great yeah so but it it just took a long time I didn't I everyone told me it would take a long time but I didn't really realize (laughs) um that yeah it just took a while what does the surgery entail yeah so okay endometriosis is like the <laughs> one of I personally just feel like it's one of the worst diseases to be diagnosed with and the reason I say that is because it's painful um and it's difficult to manage but it is just notoriously um doctors don't know how to handle it um, and are constantly misdiagnosing people um, or giving people the wrong things to do for endometriosis. And so like my biggest PSA is if you think you have endometriosis, um, Mm -hmm. one in 10 um, women, people with a womb have endometriosis. So one in 10, that's 10% of that population. Uh, so if you have a lot of the symptoms, it's highly likely that you could have endometriosis. Um, but it's really important to go see a specialist. So not just to talk to your primary care doctor and honestly, not even to go to an OBGYN because yeah. the majority of OBGYNs don't learn the proper things in med school about endometriosis and are not treating endometriosis correctly. And the majority of people that I know um, had a the wrong surgery first, and it made things worse. And then they finally saw a specialist. Um, oh God, yeah, I've heard that yeah. as well. <laughs> so that's the biggest thing. 
um that I just like I think people should know if they if they think they have it just go see a specialist someone who only works on endometriosis um because it, 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 there are less than I think 100 doctors in the country that only work with endometriosis which again is crazy when you consider one in ten um, yeah <laughs> that's insane yeah <laughs> um but it, you should definitely wait get on a waiting list and go see a specialist it's really um worth it and so I think the other biggest thing with endometriosis is patience um because most people get misdiagnosed um wrongly diagnosed um it takes I think the average is seven to ten years for someone to get the proper endo endo diagnosis all these things it's just like trying to be as patient as possible um which is really hard to do when your pain is, is bad um right but so I um got surgery in July and I got excis- excision surgery okay so and that is the proper um surgery and only known cure for endometriosis there is also ablation surgery the majority of OBGYNs will tell you to get ablation surgery Basically, ablation surgery is like a laser. So they're kind of like lasering it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just scratches the surface of the endometriosis. So again, these are cells that kind of are like hanging out around your body, not in your uterus. And they, they land in random places, usually in the abdomen. But I've heard stories of there was this case in a book that I read where this woman was getting a nosebleed every time she had her period and it turns out she had endometriosis in her nose so it's oh like my God. I know crazy um they found endometriosis in I think um brains and fetuses it, it can be anywhere my friend had it attached to her rib um but mine was basically all surrounding my uterus so um it was on part of my bladder, my colon, my small intestine, my um, my vagina, my the different sidewalls of just like my abdomen. So it was uh-huh. all in that area. So the cells kind of make new homes outside of the uterus, and then they just kind of start doing destruction in those areas. So you have to do excision surgery, which which cuts out the endometriosis and the and cuts it out kind of like almost digging up a carrot so if you were to harvest a carrot with ablation surgery you would just harvest the green tops of the carrots so you wouldn't Mm -hmm. actually get to the root with excision surgery you're digging up the whole carrot (laughs) um and that is the only cure for endometriosis um, and then it is, I really like that analogy. Yeah. <laughs> and then it is highly, 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 highly recommended to, um, pair that with pelvic floor therapy. Okay. And is your pelvic floor therapy internal or is it external work? Um, it is internal. So basically, um, a lot of people with endometriosis because they've been in pain for so long. And I can just kind of start, I guess maybe I'll, I'll start with my story and my kind of when I noticed the pain and how long, but I got my first period when I was 11 mm-hmm. um, and 
really always had awful cramps. Um, and pretty regular periods, no problem with that, but always had awful cramps. And then when I started to get a little bit older, probably around 14, 15, 16, I started to get um, just the stabbing pain during ovulation, um, middle shorts. So mm-hmm. I noticing that. So those were my main two symptoms were just awful pain during my period. I would be missing class, um, missing high school and, and bad pain during ovulation. And, you know, from the research that I've been doing with endo, just for my own sake, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that periods shouldn't be so painful that you have to miss school or work. And Mm -hmm. if they are, something's wrong. So, which was just not what I was taught at all. (laughs) Um, You know, I was just kind of taught um, from my family, from my friends, from my own doctors growing up that, you know, it sucks being a woman and periods suck and like, yeah, figure out a way to deal with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was just kind of a revelation for me when I figured out that, oh, okay, you know, had I known at that younger age that um, that pain was not normal, it could have been really helpful. Another common thing that ends up happening with endo patients is because their pain for years is downplayed, it can just kind of have like a, a negative mental health effect sometimes in terms of totally. like so many people telling you that your pain doesn't exist or your pain is normal or that's just how you're supposed to feel um, when you're in really debilitating pain. Um, and so that there's all, what I learned from endo is that it just can literally affect any part of your body depending on where it's growing and how it's progressing. Um, so yeah I imagine that I mean that I think this is a pretty common problem amongst like female bodied people in general of just like minimizing our pain but I'd imagine with endo when you have such a high threshold for the pain you're experiencing it would be hard to really diagnose anything you know I I just would imagine that you're kind of taught to ignore your symptoms to just cope (laughs) yeah and I mean I have to say, and, and I'll go into this a little bit, but I had female OBGYNs and female OBGYNs of color, and I still had this experience of not being listened to. Um, and so just, you know, it's, I think, for me, a problem with the medical system as a whole, um, not just the different individuals that I was working with. Um, but so I I had all these problems and then what I thought were separately, I had all these other problems. So I I had, um, constipation my whole life. Um, before I even got my period, I had constipation. Um, and then I, um, used to have just like these stomach cramps. So I always thought that like, oh, I'm lactose intolerant or, oh, I just like, I don't eat properly. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though I've always been like relatively healthy, I just was like, oh, I'm just like, I don't eat properly. (laughs) So that's kind of how I always saw it, but it didn't really matter how I changed my diet. I was still always getting, I was still always constipated. I would probably have a bowel movement like four times a week. 
Um, and then oh, I, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, it just was normal though. Like <laughs> since I was 10, like it was like that. So I just kind of was like, that's how my body is. Um, like it wouldn't be like unheard of for me to like go on vacation for a week and like not poop once, <laughs> which is like, wow. <laughs> Which is looking back on it is like, oh, that's awful. But <laughs> I just didn't really think about it. And then so yeah. all these kind of stomach cramps. And so I just kind of thought like, oh, I have IBS, like separate from the period stuff. I have IBS. Um, and then when I was around 25, I started having pain during sex. Mm-hmm. Um. And so it was like looking into that and, um, I, you know, I just was like, oh, that's weird. And I remember I was talking to, um, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, kind of joking with him because I was ovulating and I was in pain. And I was like, it's so weird biologically that like, you know, I'm the most fertile when I'm ovulating. And so you would think my body would want me to feel good. And, yeah. and yet I'm in pain and like, isn't that funny? And then I kind of Googled it and stumbled across endometriosis. And there were all the symptoms that I had, all the things that I had thought were separate symptoms. So um, pain during ovulation, pain during my period, constipation, IBS symptoms, pain during sex, but they were all under one disease. And it just was like, Oh, and I just was like, wow. oh, I think I have this. Um, and I I went to my primary care doctor and talked to her about it. And she, I have the same primary care doctor. She has been wonderful this whole time. But she's always been very upfront with me that she doesn't know that much about endometriosis. And so she's always encouraged me to, like, go see whoever I needed to see. Um, and the first thing she wanted to do was just rule out that it could be anything else she was like it's much easier for us to just rule out that it could be anything besides that so she sent me to pelvic floor therapy which I started um and made things better but didn't heal things completely um and then she wanted to you know rule out any STDs so I got I think it's like uh gonorrhea or chlamydia where you have to get the shot in your butt um the antibiotic So I got that to make sure that it wasn't an STD and it wasn't an STD. And I remember um, getting a shot and the nurse um, was a woman of color. I guess just, I should say I'm also a woman of color, which is why I'm noting this. Um, and she, I, and I was specifically getting the shot because we wanted to rule out anything else. And she gave me the shot. And as she was leaving, she was like, you really should wear a condom next time. And that just kind of was like, Oh my God. That just was like kind of the theme of like all these different healthcare professionals that I saw for like the next four years, um, trying to figure out this diagnosis was there were just so many people who were so dismissive of my pain and my problems. Um, that's beyond dismissive. That's really I shocking. Know. I mean, not shocking because I've heard <laughs> such similar things, but it's so terrible. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So that was like one experience I had. And then I started seeing OBGYNs. So I would see all these OBGYNs. 
um, one of the things that happened uh, leading up to painful sex was I had tried an IUD and I'd specifically tried a mm-hmm. copper IUD, which I know now aggravates the uterus, especially if you have um, adenomyosis. It's really bad combination for adenomyosis to have a copper IUD. Um, yeah. But I didn't know that at the time. And I, I had one in and I actually, it, gave, it got rid of my pain. But I had my period for like nine days at a time. And it was crazy, crazy, crazy heavy. <laughs> I was, that's what I, I, heard, I was, yeah. at one point, I, I was watching TV with my roommate. I had a diva cup in and I had underwear and pants on. And I stood up and there was blood all over the couch. <laughs> and so oh, my man. period was so heavy that it, I had bled, you know, out of my diva cup, through my underwear, through my pants, and into the couch. And I just have to be, I'm so thankful for my roommate, because we just looked at each other, and she just burst out laughing. And like, I was just like, (laughs) thankful that she wasn't like, Oh, my God, the couch. She was like, Oh, my God, are you okay? So yeah, then I got a second IUD in. And, you know, it's very painful that getting the IUD in is like crazy painful. Um, yeah, it's and not that, nice. But, but that's like the <laughs> level of pain that my endo got to eventually. Um, so wow. I got a second one in. And the first time I had a period, I was on vacation with my parents in Barbados. And it was so painful. I remember being on the floor of the rental car crying um, because it was so much pain. And I went to, immediately went to my OBGYN as soon as I got back from that vacation. And I was like, this this has to come out. Like, it's so painful. And her response was, well, what are you going to do for birth control? How are you not going to get pregnant? Um, And (laughs) I was just like, it's the worst. I just told you that I was in so much pain that I was crying and not moving. And your response is, how are you not going to get pregnant? Which wasn't yeah. why I was using it in the first place. I was using it um, for my period. So like, like to try and regulate that area. So I just was so baffled to me by the um, ability for me to express how much pain I was in and for the OBGYN to just totally dismiss it and say, well, how are you not going to get pregnant? um yeah that that's the top concern it's crazy yeah and, you know again I don't know again if this is partly because I'm a woman of color I was going to the doctors in a city and you know I think sometimes some of these OBGYNs just kind of saw me as a potential statistic um but yeah. it just they were not listening to me and and a big thing that I've learned through all of this is that doctors are experts in medicine but I'm an expert in my body um and so I have to I can't listen to someone who tells me um something about my body when they don't know about my body does that make sense like like absolutely (laughs) I think that's such an important thing yeah highlight say it again and And, again and and again (laughs) the doctors that I've worked the best with have really just been able to interpret what I've told them 
So when I've told them symptoms, they've told me could be this could be this let's try this instead of telling me mm-hmm. oh nope that's not you you're not feeling that or that's not right or you're not thinking about the right things um so i started seeing a pelvic floor therapist um and things got a little bit better with pain with sex but just a little bit mm-hmm. and everything else was pretty painful um, so I didn't really keep up with the pelvic, the PT. Cause I was like, I don't think this is it. Um, and then mm-hmm. I got a friend who was diagnosed with endometriosis and we kind of were talking about it and, um, you know, my life happened. I got married. I, um, I moved to Spain for grad school. Um, so, you know, I just learned to kind of cope with it. Um, taking a lot of Advil, trying to get ready, like preparing for when I was having a period, I stopped having any kind of penetrative sex, um, just avoiding certain Mm -hmm. things that I knew weren't going to work for my body. Um, And then when I got back to the U.S. um, in 2018, after living a year in Spain, my endo was just awful. Um, I think probably the stress from grad school hadn't really helped but I was in crazy pain during ovulation, crazy pain during my period. My pain was escalating. I was getting these sharp bursts um, even when I wasn't in those places in my cycle. So it just would feel like stabbing pain um, in my uterus and my abdomen and my stomach. Um, Sometimes I would like get them while driving and like, I like couldn't breathe when I was getting them. And it just was like, it just didn't feel safe or I'd get them at work in the middle of like a meeting with someone. And like, I, like, it was almost like the wind had been knocked out of me and I was like, I can't, this is escalating and I like, can't really work like this anymore. Um, and then I had just a few other things going on with me health wise. I had really awful, um, neck and shoulder tension and pain, Um, was getting spasms in the middle of the night. So that was like affecting my ability to sleep because I would wake up from a spasm and be in pain from my shoulders and my neck. And then I had a lump in my breast and my underarm area. Um, And when I was around 21, I had a biopsy on a a lump in my breast, um, which was came back negative, but I, I had discovered another one while I was in Spain. Um, and so all these things are just like all happening at once. Just like I was a miserable, like <laughs> crying all the time person because it just was like really um, yeah. overwhelming to have be in so much pain and like not know, not have any solutions. Um, yeah. And feeling like your body is giving yeah, out on you, I'm I sure. Mean, I, at the time I was, uh, 27 28 years old so it just was like what is going on with me um so I have to say I just I had I have a wonderful primary care physician and I I went to her about the first month that we were back from Spain with this laundry list of things wrong with me and she was like all right like let's just she's like let's get you and to see every specialist we can um and then my friend who had been diagnosed with endometriosis while I was gone in Spain she had gone through an ablation surgery 
um, that had made her pain way worse. And then she had found this specialist, um, Dr. Malcolm McKenzie, and had had a successful excision surgery mm-hmm. and was doing much better. So she, I met up and talked to her and we had a conversation and she really, really encouraged, um, you know, we talked about all the similar symptoms that we had because I had still not ever been officially diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, and so made an appointment with Dr. McKenzie, but like I said, there's not that many specialists in the U S so I made, a appointment and I was on a, the waiting list. So that was October and I didn't actually end up seeing him until January. Um, so all the while I was trying to deal with all these things. Um, uh-huh. And it turned out I had, um, you know, this lump in my underarm, which they removed. Um, so I had surgery in January of 2019 to remove that in my underarm um, and it was not cancerous. They think it, it was from a excess of estrogen, which is like, even though it's it not, it's its own separate thing, mm. endometriosis can cause more estrogen in your body. So it's interesting that I have these breast lumps that are associated with having more, more estrogen when I also had endometriosis. Um, so dealing with that, and um, then I finally started seeing physical therapists for my neck and back. So those things were kind of getting better. And I just, it was in general, like feeling more hopeful because I had a plan <laughs> and was like seeing people and people were diagnosing yeah. me. And it is just such a relief to meet with a doctor and for them to, you know, I remember this with the lump in my breast for them to feel it and to be like, no, you are not making this up. Like, let's get a biopsy. Let's get surgery like this is real um it doesn't yeah exactly it doesn't doesn't solve anything but just having that conversation of sounds like you're in pain sounds like things could be off let's start working on it it's like part I think of what is so difficult with endometriosis is for so many years people hear there's nothing wrong with you, you're making it up, you're exaggerating your pain, and it just creates a sense of hopelessness um, because it's not a disease that an individual can really do anything about um, on a larger scale. You know, you can you can try and exercise, live a healthy life, you can, you know, use have an anti-inflammatory diet, all those things, but all of those things without, you know, the surgery, in my opinion, and without the um, pelvic floor therapy combined, they only get you so far. Um, And so, you know, I was, yes, I was always taking Advil on my period, but I was still having a lot of pain on my period, Um, even with the Advil. So I think I saw one more OBGYN while I was waiting to see Dr. McKenzie and she told me to just go on birth control and that is another huge myth with endometriosis is that it can be cured with birth control so the symptoms sometimes can be alleviated with birth control um, but it does not cure the disease and a huge thing that happens is OBGYNs or, or primary care physicians prescribe birth control Women go on birth control, their symptoms go away, 
And then when they want to have a baby, they go off birth control and lo and behold, they still have endometriosis and the endometriosis is estrogen independent um, from your cycle and your uterus. So whether you're on birth control or not, it is still creating estrogen and it is still growing and thriving in your body. And so it gets worse while, while you are, you know, on birth control for years of your life. And so a lot of women go off birth control their pain comes back. It's worse than it was before. And maybe they're infertile. So it's birth control is never a solution for endometriosis. Um, I, (laughs) I heard a doctor recently on NPR talking about birth control, and they mentioned prescribing it for their patients with endometriosis. And I like frantically was like emailing NPR <laughs> being like, <laughs> good. I've taken birth control for my symptoms um, in between my diagnosis and my surgery, because my, my symptoms got so out of control, painful that I, I couldn't really manage but it was never a solution. And it was just a short term thing to manage my symptoms. And so absolutely, I think if that's your mindset, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to manage the symptoms, birth control can be very helpful, though it's not for everybody. Um, But it is not a solution. And I get so nervous for, you know, people who've been on birth control for years, who do want to have children, um, who think they have endometriosis, because the disease is um, escalating and doing harm in the body yeah um so yeah then I saw one more OBGYN and and she said that and at that time I already knew a lot about endo and I was like oh I know more about endo than this doctor does (laughs) so I'm not gonna listen to anything she says and it was another woman of color so it just was like you know really frustrating to me to to purposely I was seeking out these people who I was hoping would be, um, you know, not even allies, but like kin. And um, they just were still not really listening or, or weren't properly um, educated on how to treat endo. And there's, there's all these studies about like, endometriosis presents itself in 17 different ways. But the majority of gynecologists don't know that. Mm -hmm. So the majority of gynecologists are a doing ablation surgery and instead of excision surgery so they're doing the wrong surgery and then also when they actually open you up and look inside you they don't even know how to recognize all the different ways endometriosis can look so they might even miss endo that's there um so it's just it's not taught properly in in medical schools yeah definitely not and and to go back to your point about the birth control is like i feel like I've seen so many people who are coming off of birth control after having been on it for a decade or two or however long, you know, having these, having been on it Mm -hmm. as a young teenager because they had quote unquote bad periods and that was the solution for them. And there was no like looking into the symptoms to see if it could be endometriosis and now they're coming off of it and it's escalated so much. Um, and a lot of people are facing infertility. I see that yeah, I mean, so again, much. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 10% um, of so yeah. um, women, people with a womb. So, I mean, 10%, you, we all know someone who has it, right? So it's, they just might not know they have it. Right. Um, 
And then your risks go way up if you have like a sibling or a parent with endo. So um, it, it's just is, it's really, really more common. And, and that's why I kind of just like t- try to talk to everybody and anyone about it. Um, because I know a lot of people have it. Um, and I want people to get help before it escalates and gets even worse. And, you know, my pain was pretty right. bad. But I, I had friends who were fainting from pain before they finally got surgery. Um, you know, and, and it, it can it can live anywhere in your body. So, you know, it can, it can latch onto your nervous system. It can latch onto your muscles, to your bone. So um, it can really just wreak havoc. Um, and then, you know, again, it's inflammatory. So all the awful things that we know happen to your body when your body is walking around inflamed. Um, so being in that state for, you know, for me, decades of my life being inflamed, is just like, has not been good for my body. Um, right. And so beyond yes, just like exactly. your way, way beyond that. I mean, the, honestly, I would say one of the biggest benefits that I saw pretty immediately was really more of my GI system um was just like mm-hmm. radically changed after surgery um just radically changed so that's awesome yeah so finally that's um cool. in I think February 2019 I, I met Dr. McKenzie and I remember going into um his office the center of women at Mount Auburn Hospital um center for women and they give you a like a like a questionnaire and it's like like a diagram of a body and they tell you to circle all the different places where you're feeling pain and then they had this like extensively long list of just like pain descriptions like is it sharp pain is it dull pain is it stabbing pain like all these different things that I was like oh my god yes it's this pain and this pain and this pain and I just had never been in a doctor's office where they first said like tell us where your pain is and then here's a long list of different types of pain which pain is it so immediately just waiting in the doctor's office I was like oh this is different um and immediately there even before I can see a doctor or an, a PA assistant or a nurse, they're already asking me, where's your pain? Um, and I met him. He was, I was very skeptical to meet, have a male doctor. Um, <laughs> I just was. But yeah, he I was <laughs> um, incredibly empathetic and kind. And like you said, listened. He didn't do any physical exam. I didn't have to get into a gown, nothing. At that point, um, uh, having, you know, a exam, physical exam with for an OBGYN is, was incredibly uncomfortable for me. Um, I'd had a few cysts, so I'd had to get um, vaginal ultrasounds, and I would cry during them. Like, it just was so painful. Um so he, we just had a conversation. Awesome. He just asked me about what did I know about endometriosis? And, you know, I had a friend who had it and, and I'd been doing a lot of research. So I, I knew a good amount. Um, and he kind of filled in the gaps, what I, what I didn't know and what had my experience been like. 
And he just was like, yeah, sounds like you have endometriosis. It just was like so simple. It was radical. (laughs) Um, That's amazing. And to not have to like insist on doing a pelvic exam and all of that, which is so uncomfortable. I think that's so wonderful. you can't know if someone has endo from a pelvic exam. The only 100% way to know is to have surgery and to biopsy the endometriosis afterwards. Um, but he just was like, you know, it sounds right. like you have it. He's like, the, he's like, I have patients with all different kinds of symptoms. He's like, but one of the most common things is, um, you know, when they're a teenager, they were missing school because of their periods and they were curled up in their beds on the fetal position. And he was like, the majority of my patients had that tell me that that's what happened to them as a teenager. Um, and so it was incredibly validating. Um, and then, you know, I went through this whole wave of anger as well, because for 17 years of my life, I'd had these symptoms and this pain and no one had listened to me. Um, And, you know, I I grew up in a household that was very much kind of like, you're fine, don't be a hypochondriac, Um, which I was a dramatic kid. So I I kind of I understand that. But, you know, (laughs) I was just angry for a little while because I was like, you know what, I wasn't fine. um, And I wasn't making anything up. And I was really in pain for a long time. Um, and so many doctors and so many people just right. you know, didn't do anything about it. Um, you know, my parents didn't know about endometriosis, but, you know, my doctors did know about it and they just, you know, didn't have either, you know, the knowledge or the understanding to, to do anything about it. And again, I, I appreciate my um primary care physician because she always was just honest with me and just said I don't know about this disease but let's find you someone who does um and and that's to me is like I I think another takeaway is like if you're meeting with a doctor and they know everything about everything it's like well they don't (laughs) um so I just always appreciated her honesty of just saying I don't know. That's not my specialty. Let's find you someone whose specialty it is. Um, and <laughs> that's amazing. I think that's very rare for a doctor yeah. for them to like separate their ego, you know, and and be able to like give you like actually yeah. good patient so patient centered care. <laughs> been seeing her now for over five years, and she's just been wonderful. So um, it was really just a waiting game. I saw Dr. McKenzie in February of 2019 and my surgery was uh, scheduled for July of 2019 and I went on birth control because the pain just was like too awful. Um, I didn't love birth control. I've, I've gone on the pill a couple times now. I, it, I lose my libido and I just, there's something else about it that just mm-hmm. makes me feel a little off like not depression or anything like that but there's just like the I guess the natural rhythm of my body is is gone um and it just felt weird and they put me on a continuous pill um so I didn't take the placebo so I just didn't I didn't have a period for months um because they just they didn't want me to have any pain um which I was very thankful for that um 
but I'm glad that I don't have to yeah. be on the pill anymore. Um, and so then July came and I was getting ready for my surgery. Um, the prep for endo, I think it's probably similar to like a colonoscopy. So you're not supposed to eat anything the day before and you have to drink um, magnesium um, citrate. <laughs> and it, I mean, it, basically I was like, oh, I'm kind of mm-hmm. poisoning myself. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I, was awful. <laughs> I was like throwing up and then just like constant diarrhea because you're just emptying out your whole system. Um, and then got to the hospital the next day um, again, I, I've had several surgeries now and I've, I've never had a doctor do this before. He came in and like sat on the bed and talked to me and my husband and my mom for like 30 minutes before the surgery. And we just talked about, did I have any last minute questions? You know, he, he walked through all the things that were going to happen, how the surgery goes, what he was going to do. Um, and, and he said this thing and it was just like, it made me cry. And he was like, he was like, one of the questions that I always get is, um, you know, what happens if you open me up and, and look inside and you actually don't find any endometriosis? Um, and so many, I had that thought all the time Mm -hmm. and so many women I know before they officially get the surgery, get the official diagnosis are always like, I think there's something in the back of their head after years of hearing this. What if I actually am making it up? And what if this pain is actually mental and not physical? Um, and he said to me, he was like, I have never operated on a patient who didn't actually have endometriosis. Um, and so that was just incredibly validating, um, because it just was one of those things where he was just like, yeah, women who are complaining about this pain are not making it up. (laughs) And I've never met anyone who didn't actually have this, (laughs) who had this pain. Um, and so I just kind of like was able to breathe through that. Um, and then. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, that's wonderful. How many surgeons <laughs> wouldn't have had that conversation? You know, even if they had that experience, right. they wouldn't have necessarily said that. So he just was an incredibly um, compassionate doctor, um, and really, you know, wanted. He answered my mom's questions and my husband's questions. So. Um, The surgery, I think, was about, like, four, six hours total, Um, and I, first thing they do is they, they put a camera in, they, I have, there's five incisions in your abdomen, so one in your belly button, and then kind of, Mm -hmm. like, a little bit lower on the left and right of your belly button, and then two even lower than that, kind of more like where my um, hip is in, in the front side of my hip. So I have five excisions um, and they go in with a camera and first they just look around and they take a bunch of pictures of the existing area. So um, 
you know, and, and based on two, they're looking specifically, where do you have pain? Um, so I had said, you know, pain, pain in my uterus, pain where my ovaries are, you know, pain in my stomach, all these areas. So they're looking around and they took pictures of the before. Um, and so he, after my surgery, he went through me through all the pictures and, and sh- showed me, okay, this is what endo is. This is what endo is. Um, because I didn't know what the inside of my body looked like. So, <laughs> um, which is also just another thing. Like I have a picture of my yeah, own uterus, yeah. which is like, crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then they go back. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> excise, cut all of it out. Um, and what had happened with me was the endometriosis was there but then it had been causing irritation on the areas that it was. So I had endo, but I also had like um, fibroids and scar tissue around the endometriosis because the body is kind of trying to protect itself from it, um, which was also causing issues. So mm-hmm. the reason that I've been constipating my whole life is because my colon and my small intestine were attached to the sidewall of my body. <laughs> And we're not in their proper place because of the scar tissue and the endometriosis. Um, They take out um, your appendix. They just do that no matter what, because it's very common that um, endometriosis is growing on your appendix and you don't need it. So they just immediately take that out. Um, And then they just started taking taking it out. So again, I had it along the side of my abdomen. on my bladder, I actually didn't have any endometriosis on my uterus or ovaries itself, but just like a, a whole, if you can imagine, just a whole sphere around those areas. Um, colon, small intestine, mm-hmm. um, and, and the vaginal wall. So it's like, but like the, the internal <laughs> side, like not a side that you can get to on your own. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but so all around there. Um, right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Explaining so the painful sex. <laughs> then, um, yeah. Was kind of recovery. Um, I was really, really fortunate. They said um, the first two weeks were going to be painful. Week three to four, you were going to be exhausted. And then usually around week six, you'll feel kind of quote unquote mm-hmm. normal. Um, and I was lucky and, and, was able to take several months off that summer and not work. Yeah, and I'm so glad that I did that. I know not everybody has access to that, but if you do have access to it, you know, someone told me you can only heal once. And that was like so important for me to to do because um, it's so true. I, I needed all that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm really glad you got to do that. I think that's really great advice because it's true. And you want to like with all of this time that you've spent trying to get the diagnosis and the surgery. Yeah. It's really important exactly. if you can so, to take that time um, to care for yourself. I um, didn't want to take any painkillers. <laughs> that was my personal decision. I, I've um, always been sober my whole life. Mm-hmm. 
and I just didn't want to do any opioids. And so I'd had a conversation with the PA, physician's assistant, and just kind of said, you know, like, how bad is the pain? I really don't want to use opioids. Um, And she said, the most painful thing with abdominal surgery is they put a bunch of gas in your stomach to kind of like inflate the area so they can look around. And then the gas stays in your body um, mm-hmm. for a few days and ends up going into your shoulders for some reason. And the gas moving around is what's the most painful usually. Interesting. And opioids don't, um, don't get rid of that pain. So she said the best thing to do is to, even though you're going to be in a lot of pain, is to uh. just try and walk. Moving around is the best way to get the gas out of your body. So um, I was in a lot of pain. The other problem was because it was abdominal surgery, I, I couldn't like flatten my stomach. So I couldn't lie down. <laughs> so sleeping was just like really tricky. Um, and there were a few nights where like the pain was just really, really bad. Like I was crying and it was just bad. Um, but started slowly moving. Um, peeing was awful because I couldn't like feel my bladder for a few days (laughs) um so like I just couldn't tell if I had to pee or not Mm -hmm. um and then when I did have to pee like I couldn't bend down to sit on the toilet myself (laughs) so like my husband would like have to like get like help me sit on the toilet that's awesome and then I would just kind of like do the motion of peeing even though I couldn't feel that whole area (laughs) and like hope that I had to pee I don't think I pooped for like a week or something they put you on a laxative but you know for two days I hadn't eaten so then it was like took a while but all that the first two weeks I just was in pain as you would be from any major surgery um and I didn't really do much and then just slowly started to go for little walks first it was just like you know walking around the kitchen then it was like going outside and then again I I started to feel better but was so tired very exhausted um but the first thing I noticed was um Mm -hmm. around a couple weeks in I was pooping every day which I had never done in my whole life (laughs) um (laughs) and I was like that's amazing (laughs) uh, I don't know four or five months to get used to that um because when you're constipated you just don't your whole life you just don't have to go to the bathroom that much and I just like all of a sudden I like had to poop all the time and it kind of became like an anxiety for me because I would be like oh my god I I think I have to poop and what I usually don't have to poop for four days this is crazy (laughs) Like, I just wasn't prepared for, for that to happen. That's amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> so slowly started getting better. Um, things that did not improve, because I have adenomyosis, my period and my ovulation were still painful. They were not as painful, but they were still painful. Um, I didn't have any of the I, uh, uh, GI symptoms anymore. Those all went away. And then this other thing that happened that was, totally crazy to me but after reading about it later I kind of learned a little bit more but my neck and shoulders started to feel better um and that was I guess because they think sometimes people with endo 
because they've had so much pain in their abdomen for so long, they kind of like are always kind of hunched over, um, you know, kind of as if you would be if someone had kicked you in the stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they think that just years of that has kind of potentially made my neck and shoulders kind of more hunched. So those and I also would say I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in pain. And so I wasn't, those are stress areas for me. So I wasn't really signaling those stress areas as much. Um, and then I started going back to pelvic floor physical therapy. So a lot of people with endometriosis and adenomyosis have um, problems with their pelvic floor. They're, it's too tight. So that's a huge thing. When I tell people I'm going to pelvic floor therapy, yeah. they're always like, oh, yeah, you got to do your kegels. And I'm like, no, <laughs> people with people with endometriosis do not ever need to do. Kegels yeah, no, the opposite. The <laughs> like. <clears throat> I think that's a really important you thing. You don't always need to be tight. That we're well. like always told we need so to do kegels and it's really not the case. I was too tight. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the first thing we just did was just learning how to control and open those muscles, how to breathe and, and release them when I was feeling tight. Um, she, it, it's um, incredibly intimate pelvic floor therapy. And so even more so than the doctor, your yes, pelvic floor yeah. therapist, you really have to like them. <laughs> um, because she... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and my pelvic floor therapist is like this bubbly extremely kind very friendly person I adore her so um but every session starts with you know I lie down she uh, was always with consent but she um you know inserts her fingers into my vagina and feels around for my pressure points um and then the thing is it's like so endometriosis caused my pelvic floor to be tight and caused it to be painful um so that's the cause the endo is is gone like I don't have endometriosis anymore it's gone Mm -hmm. but I'm still having pain in my pelvic floor and it's because the muscles have been trained to be tight and to feel pain um even though the reason that they were trained to feel that way is gone so it's like and that's why you have to get, in my opinion, the surgery and the pelvic floor, because the surgery gets rid of the endo, cools your body down, but the, the, the surgery doesn't fix all the havoc that has been happening on your body for me for decades. Um, and so, you know, you have to, depending on where the endo has been growing and what it's been doing, you might have to do a lot of other things post-surgery or pre-surgery to prepare for surgery. Um because they're because it's been causing so many problems in your body so I'm still on my pelvic floor journey although it's way better than than it was um you know when I first started but so she would um you know Mm -hmm. feel around for my pressure points and then she would push my pressure points which is like kind of like if someone were just to like kind of push like a knot in your shoulder or something in your back and then <laughs> yeah and then I just my job was oh, to breathe that sounds rough. through it and 
train my muscles to relax. Um, because again, there is nothing actually painful happening. Their response was just pain. Um, and so I had to teach them how to respond to, you know, it's just pressure. It's not pain. We can relax. Um, and then we started using dilators. So, I mean, they are medical grade plastic dildos basically. Um, and, (laughs) but a variety of sizes and you start by just very, very, very slowly, tons of lubricant inserting them or trying to insert them all. And anytime there's pain, you're supposed to pause and breathe through it and release those muscles and keep doing that until the pain goes away and then continue moving forward. Um, You are not ever supposed to retreat because that is training your muscles that something bad is actually happening and that their pain is valid, Um, but you're supposed to pause and breathe through it. So it's a very patient, very intimate practice. I have uh, five different dilator sizes And currently I'm still, you know, a few times a week using two of them. Um, And so it just is a, but, you know, Mm. even the first one, the small was like so challenging just to like get it in. (laughs) And then all these, again, all these pressure points. So sometimes I use the dilators to hit a pressure point and I breathe through it. Um, and I'm just trying to relax all those muscles. Um, but I am seeing a huge improvement. Um, even just like, I can tell, like, if I feel in that area, I can tell it's not so tight anymore. Um, and like this winter, I peed outside for the first time, in, like, not in, in the water, which is like something that I've never been able to do and apparently that's like a problem with some people who have a tight pelvic floor is like they can't pee outside (laughs) so yeah you can't like you because that's when you're squatting um you're using all you're clenching all those pelvic floor muscles to squat yeah so if if you're already super tight if you're super tight and then clenching to squat it's like nothing's coming out of there like nothing's coming out of there (laughs) Um, so like, I'm, I'm slowly starting to see a difference. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's been my (laughs) journey with endo. Um, I am way better than I was. Oh, the, the other thing I forgot to mention, which was my energy. Um, I was, I didn't realize it, but I was like fatigued my whole life, (laughs) And then once I felt better from the surgery, um, because I was tired from the surgery, but once I started to feel better from the surgery, I was like, oh my God, I have all this energy. Like, like it was mind blowing to me. Like, I was like, wow, I just could keep going and going. Like, where did this reserve come from? Um, You know, just because I I wasn't inflamed anymore. (laughs) Um, So that's so good. And then I, I will say this, yeah. I think one thing that did happen was the pain with, from adenomyosis with my period and with my um, ovulation seemed to be worse. And I actually think it was less bad than before. 
But because I had, was always every day, at least on a one or two pain wise, having a little bit more pain didn't seem bad. Now my average day, I have zero pain. And so when I have pain, mm-hmm. it's very noticeable. Whereas previously, I think, you know, my tolerance was just really high because I was just always in pain. Um, so, yeah, that, that's been right. a new thing. So It's yeah. good to be more sensitive yeah. to your pain now, I think, as much as totally a good thing. that might be jarring. So, I think it's definitely a, a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, yes, that's so great. Been, I'm so glad it's be been really so positive I mean, for you. Between when I, I mean, I started feeling the pain again when I was 11. That's my first period. And I'm 29 now. So that's how long it has been. And yeah. then I diagnosed myself when I was 25. Right. Um, and I didn't get an official diagnosis from a specialist um until last year so right yeah so it just it took a really long time which is crazy and then this recovery has taken a long time even though you know every month I notice I'm feeling better and better it hasn't been oop all of a sudden I'm just totally good and nothing's wrong with me um so I'm just really still I'm still healing I'm still going really slow especially with the pelvic floor Um, I just don't want to push anything and make it worse. So, yeah, I think that's good. I think, yeah, being slow is so important with our healing and and really just, you know, everything, slowing down, paying more attention. Yeah. Um, Do you have any advice for somebody else, like, either starting this process or really yeah, just I, I, dealing with I the diagnosis community is really important like so was the most helpful really advice great, uh, facebook groups nancy's nook um is a incredibly reliable and great resource online um again like i said not every doctor is actually going to really know how to handle endometriosis so it's really important to find the right resources um, so some of my favorites, like I said, are Nancy's Nook. For mm-hmm. anybody listening in the Massachusetts area, there's a Greater Boston um, Endometriosis group, Facebook group that's awesome. Um, Beating Endo is a really, really book, wonderful book that um, really goes over everything you need to know about endometriosis and all the different ways that it can affect your body and all the different things you can do. Um, that's a great place to start. I watched the documentary End of What. I've seen it many times now. And like every time I watch it, I cry. But that's also a really great understanding of like, this is what endo is. And, you know, these are the proper treatments and not. So and, and I encourage people and I've given out the um, beating endo book several to several friends now. And I, I always just say, just read it. And if it resonates with you, you should go see a specialist. If you're reading it and you're like, oh, this doesn't really sound like me, then you, you know, don't worry about it. But if you're reading it and if you start crying on page two, like I did, you probably have endometriosis and you should go see a specialist. (laughs) Um, So, you know, the other advice that I would say is 
<laughs> I had it with myself and I've met so many people um, who felt this way. And, and I have a lot of, you know, friends in my life who, you know, think maybe they have endometriosis. Um, there's so much personal doubt um, because the symptoms, mm-hmm. um, you know, are hard to diagnose. You can't just take, get an MRI. You have to get surgery. And so many women have been told, um, oh, you don't actually have this or you're making it up. And so a, a lot of times when I've, when people get to the point where their pain is serious enough to actually get surgery, they have a lot of doubt that, that, that they have endo or that something is wrong with them. Um, and so I just would encourage people to not to not doubt their bodies, your body's pain, even though it's awful, pain is not the problem. Pain is a symptom and it, it, your body is it's trying to communicate with you through pain. Um, and you really need to listen to that. Um, and so, you know, take notes. I, yes. I was taking vigorous notes, um, do research, but, you know, really know your body. What causes you pain? When is it worse? Is it when you eat certain foods? Is it a certain time of the month? Um, you know, what is your energy level like? Where is the pain? What type of pain? Do you have different pain at different times? All of these things. Um, you know, that kind of stuff is really helpful so that when you do start working with the right medical professionals you kind of can can give them a a laundry list of all the things that you've noticed and like I said if you find the right medical professionals they should really just be interpreting what you are telling them about your body so not telling you about your body when they don't know you (laughs) um yes yeah. yeah I think like you yeah. said, you're so, the expert on, you know, that was on really your body and they're experts to write in everything medicine. down. And then I can just kind of say, okay, <laughs> these are all my symptoms and this is what I've noticed. Um, and I think it was helpful for my medical professionals to have those records too. Yeah, yeah definitely. And then I think the I more information say, you can come to try, those appointments, the better for sure. It can be really isolating. Um, you know, it it's, ends up sometimes being mm-hmm. a socially isolating disease because if you're not feeling well and you're tired all the time, it's really hard to socialize. Um, and especially for me, the last couple of years where my pain was getting really high, Definitely. I can't tell you how many shows or parties or things that I just was like, I cannot go to this right now. Um, you know, it was hard enough just like getting through work today. Right. Um, and being in pain and, and I, I can't go to this person's party and um, it, it, I felt really guilty about it, but it's important to connect with people who are in the same boat as you. And I'm sure you know someone who also has endometriosis because it's so common, even if they don't, or someone who has another chronic illness that you can connect with. Um, because, you know, my family was very um, sympathetic, but they just really didn't know how I was feeling because they weren't feeling that. Um, and so it was hard to really always communicate that with them where right. it was, I'm so grateful that I have 
friends and, you know, had Facebook kind of go and, you know, complain or talk about things or trying to figure out solutions to things um, and just hear other people's stories. Yeah, I think that's so important. Yeah. It can be so isolating, really, every chronic illness. So having that is is so necessary to just not feel like you're going crazy in it, too. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing all this information and your story. I really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, it's amazing to hear it. And I mean, I have to say, I didn't know that you had endometriosis until you had the surgery. So like that just goes to show too, you know, it's such a silent thing. And um, I I think it's, yeah, so important to be spreading this and and being able to openly talk um, about it. Again, just yeah keep doing what you're doing. I think it's awesome that you are providing resources for all these different topics for people to um, listen to. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these things are taboo. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Know about them and also feel comfortable talking about them. Yeah, yeah, I think, (laughs) yeah, like, ignoring it and not talking about it is not doing anybody any good. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, is there anything else you want to say, or can you tell people Um, how they can find your music? I'm on Spotify and all the streaming platforms, (laughs) Naomi Westwater. Um, Also, my website is just NaomiWestwater.com. I'm frequently on Instagram. That's a good place to find me. Um, and yeah, I will probably have some new music coming out at some point in 2020. Yeah. Awesome. So good to talk to you, Kaylee. Well, thank you again. And, um, you too. Yeah. I really, I really appreciate it. Have a good